Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. I'm Joe Coldabella and we are in the Harrison Edwards Media Center at Mountain Connect in Denver, Colorado. Joining me is Brian Hollister, the co-founder and CEO of Bonfire Construction. Bonfire Infrastructure Group is is, is is the actual name, Joe, but you know, like as we've evolved through the years, we actually in the beginning were Bonfire Construction. Okay, so, that's yep. great. But services, you know, continue to grow. We needed to do something a little different. Awesome. Um, so if, if we can even take a little bit step back from that as well, I'd love if you could sort of just share with our audience your sort of origin story. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, I, I've been in this industry my my whole life. I, I, I love what we do. Really? So just yeah. sorry to yeah. interject there, yeah. but it's interesting that um, there, there seems to be there's sort of like two channels. There's folks that sort of stumble their, their way in, and then there's folks that have been part of it for forever. Yeah, no, I I stumbled my way in by literally a neighbor of mine thought that I I had the the right, you know, charisma to get a job in sales and telecom. And she was a very sweet neighbor that actually went out on a limb and helped me get an interview. And I got my first gig at a company called ICI and um ultimately uh in and that helped me then to move into another gig uh with MCI. Is that crazy how life kind of like works that way where it's like you because I, I sort of have the same thing as I was in advertising for about 20 years. And for me, I needed to um, fulfill a an elective to graduate from college. And um, it was in market. It was a marketing course. And all the students were marketing courses are marketing students. And we did a bunch of assignments and the teacher pulled me aside and she said, I shouldn't be telling you this. I shouldn't be saying this. Um, and I was a political science major. So I had absolutely no sort of thought of going in this direction. She's like, listen, I shouldn't say this and I, I don't tell the other students, but they are clueless. And in terms of this, the assignments that we're doing, you get it. And so um, for whatever reason, she like piqued my interest. And so 20 years later, I was in advertising. Um, so it's it's crazy how life works that way. Absolutely. It's always about, in my mind, you know, helping someone out uh, along the way, right? So, of course, I'm in a different position now, and I'm always trying to, you know, help younger folks get into the business and do everything I can because our business is amazing. Not just, it's really not just our business, but our industry, uh, exceptional growth, so many opportunities. And the thing that actually keeps me up these days is, are we going to be able to meet the demand? Are we going to be able to get enough people in our industry to fulfill the work, do the labor, do the construction? Um, you can't outsource, you know, construction offshore. It's local. You need boots on the ground. Um, there's going to be challenges ahead, and I think we need to do everything we can to inspire young people to get in this industry. I, I totally agree, and we'll definitely. I would love to dive deeper into that. Um, before we do, could we sort of get the the bonfire story as well? Yeah, yeah, I love telling it. Um, you know, this story got started with um, uh, one of my co-founders um, wanted to get. Uh, he 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 had an opportunity where he was trying to grow the grow his own opportunity and um, kind of hit a ceiling. And um, one day we were chatting and um, we were doing, um, personally, I was doing a lot of work with um, CenturyLink and I used to work for Calyx. And we got together one day and he's like, man, I, I got like, I'm in a really weird position. I, I, I can't grow with my company. Everyone loves everything I'm doing, but I can't grow. And I'm, I'm trying to get a new job. And would you sponsor me? And, and so I said, yes, of course. And, and then he went to try to get a job with Calyx and Adtran, you know, suppliers in, in our space. And then 
they both got cold feet and didn't want to hire him away from one of their own clients. So we get together one day and he's upset. And I said, well, no one can stop you from starting your own business. And I believe in you. And um, I think this was probably after a couple of margaritas. <laughs> I said, um, I would absolutely invest in you because I knew what he was capable of doing. He had the right heart. He had the right experience. And uh, he, was, he was a great man. And so um, that, that was kind of the initiation of the idea. And then we brought another gentleman in. We all got together in the mountains uh, behind this fellow's house. Uh, and we built a bonfire. And we're trying to solve, you know, world problems. And we're, we were drinking um, beer from, from a brewery called Bonfire. And um, we're like, well, what are we going to name this thing? And, um, uh, you know, we're trying to figure it out because it's like, it's like literally naming your child, coming, trying to name sure. a company. And as we're doing this, um, I finally said, well, you know what? I don't know about you guys. And it could have been, you know, the booze talking. But I was like, I love bonfires. Bonfires always bring people together. I haven't been at a bonfire where there's ever been a fist fight. <laughs> People are in a good mood, you know, at a bonfire. Why don't we just call it bonfire? And that was that was it. That, that's awesome. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great story too. And you know, um, because you know, naming is so important in terms of just something that rolls off uh, the lips. Just as, as a quick sort of sidebar, I hope people don't. Um, but the, there's the bicycle company Cannondale Bicycles, mm. um, huge company, uh, and. They started in the 70s and um, they started their business, the two of them, and they needed to set up a bank account and a phone, and, but they didn't have anything. So they, so one of the guys um, took his bicycle to the train station and was on the phone with the utility company to get everything. And they're like, well, you can't get anything um, set up unless your company has a name. And he looked on the signage at the train station and it was Canada. And he's like, or Cannondale. <laughs> I, I love stories like that. Um, I think there's so many great ones out there like that. Right. But it's, it's just like, it, it's inspired, right? It's, it literally. I mean, it, that's what it is really about. Um, I mean, of course, lots of folks try to do all kinds of fancy stuff, hire, you know, firms to help them with it. But I think that that Cannondale story is, you know, it's like bonfire. It's it's just real. It's how it went down. And um, sometimes don't overthink it. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. Sometimes, right? The right answer is A to B. Literally. Absolutely. So yeah, as, as, as we finally got that, you know, figured out, then, you know, started the company and the company focused on uh, doing engineering and construction work. And uh, that was really the, the beginning. And we started working um, a lot for um, ver a, a tier one, and that helped us uh, get into many states um, with that particular arrangement. And we grew like wildfire. But along the way, I had never quite been a CEO of a company, you know, with this much aspiration, if you will. I, I had done some things when I was in my 20s that we could talk about over beers sometime um, and trying to lead efforts. So I went out and really seeked advisors and wanted to surround myself with people that could help me, right, and, and learn. Um, if, you know, I think it's always about trying to learn from others' mistakes. And if they can help you not step in, you know, do do one time, it's a beautiful thing. So it's always about sharing. Um, and, and so part of that was figuring out why we're doing this business. We knew what we did, but why do we exist? And we exist because we believe all Americans deserve affordable broadband because it makes their lives better. And so that mission really started driving kind of everything we did in the business. But then we realized, well, what can we have an impact on uh, the cost? 
you know, to the consumer. You know, if we save uh, a provider money, that does not directly result in in the price to 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 obviously the consumer. So that led us on this massive quest. And um, my time at, at at Calix, I'd started learning about open access as Calix at the time was going international. We started hearing about it in South Africa, Australia, the UK, of course, Sweden, um, Denmark. So so many countries have actually been doing open access for quite a long time because hopefully at the end of this, a lot of people say, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And um, that was where we started figuring out, okay, maybe there's something else we can provide from a service perspective. Maybe we could actually go out and help um, other asset owners, say a municipality, a, a, a tribe, where they, they know they want to potentially own the asset, but now it's like, who's going to manage it? It's such a lift. If you think about municipalities, they build infrastructure, they manage it really well, but whether it's trash, sewer, you name it, it just comes up to the house. They never go inside the home. So becoming an ISP is quite a lift. And so our research, and we literally went out for 18 months, uh, traveling all over the world in the midst of COVID, which actually obviously was challenging with some of the countries because we couldn't get access, lots of Zoom calls, et cetera. We just try to learn from everyone that's doing open access. One, what's your definition of it? How are you doing it? Um, what's successful in this market? And, and we then you know, created what now is launched as Bonfire Fiber, which is a, an entity of the company that will manage someone else's assets in an open access format. And when we talk about open access, the way we look at it, Joe, is that I like to think about it like an airport. You know, can you imagine how much more expensive our already expensive airline tickets would be if every airline had to build their own runway, had to build their own terminals, right? I mean, it would obviously be very expensive. It would be way underutilized. And we would not have nearly as many options of travel choice to destinations that we have today. So they obviously today in, in an airport, someone owns that asset. Um, sometimes the, the, the owners, the, the municipality, and they also manage it. And sometimes there's a third party company that manages it. But then, of course, they lease out terminal space, runway time to the airlines, and they're all utilizing that. And obviously, you came through Denver, which is now number three in the busiest airports of the world. It would have not gotten like that if, if they all weren't working together to create a common infrastructure that all the airlines could utilize. Because the airlines, they got to focus on you know the service they provide, the flight. That's what ISPs obviously can do. And in this kind of format, a municipality can build their own network and what we're trying to do then is say, hey, if you need help operating that network, we're here to help you. And at the end of that engagement, if they ultimately take over the operations, wonderful. We are fulfilling our mission, which is helping to connect Americans with affordable broadband. So, so that's what got us into that. So you know, now the company, of course, does the engineering and construction still, but we now also do a lot of consulting up front, help um, municipalities. ISPs, you name it, figure out what's possible, right? Do all the analytics, all the, the, the financial modeling to help ultimately stakeholders of communities find a way to create a sustainable broadband solution. And of course, our announcement yesterday at Mountain Connect was super exciting. We're, we're managing the Southern Utes uh, Indian Tribes Network uh, in an open access way. And this is, they're, they're in Southwestern Colorado and this is an interesting aspect because for them, what they saw was 
they knew they needed to own the asset. It was very important, of course, to their community. But it was going to be a major lift to then build, you know, the right uh, team to now operate it. And and at the end of the day, a lot of tribes are going to be in this situation where it may never ever prove out to build your own team because the network and the amount of people you're serving isn't great enough. The Southern Indian Reservation is a beautiful reservation. It covers 1,025 square miles roughly, but there's only 6,800 homes. So some of the, you know, there's very little density, of course, and it's just not enough people to really create a, 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 the proper business case. So outsourcing some components is, is, a, is a great way to look at it, right? They knew strategically, we need to own the asset. However, we, we're not in this business. And we want to make sure that we're bringing the right people in that can help us grow it. But the open access model was key to them because they're trying to break up the monopolies that are on the reservation today. Because there's several big um, companies that do business there, but it's very scattered. You know, I think 80-something percent of the tribe can't even get uh, 10 meg down, 1 meg up. So Right. Then they said they're served, but in fact, they're not. And it's one of those things. terrible. Unfortunately, they, they fall farther and farther behind. And then you just, it's like one of those things where the digital divide grows as opposed to shrinks. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So we're excited about the, 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 the opportunity um, to continue our work with the Southern Ute. Um, and that work, we've been working with them for several years. They're, they've had a multi-phase build and um, we'll start now entering, we built their backbone the last couple of years. And now uh, soon we'll start actually connecting subscribers. So um, thanks for that. That's really interesting as well. And, and I sat in on the talk and uh, it was interesting in, in, the, in the sense of, so you're, you're, you're creating this, this network. Um, is there a, a number of ISPs that you're, you're looking to, to, to bring in? Because obviously competition is good, but then also from, from what they said, it's like too much competition dilutes the product. Is there sort of like a, a sweet spot or? Yeah, I, I think what people have to realize, there's two components. One, if, if, if whether you're a municipality or a tribe, you, you need, as you're starting to figure out your plan, you need to talk to everyone locally, all the different folks that provide, you know, services for broadband. And because and there's partnerships to obviously be had. Um, and you need to understand what are some of their challenges, some of their needs that you, you may um, be solving that they don't even know. So, so definitely start the partnership and the conversations to, you know, figure out what's happening in, in the marketplace. Um, and, then, and then secondly, you have to look at the ISPs as, as, as just as much a customer as the end user. That's a great point. And, and so we need to make sure that ISPs have a viable business. And, and so if you flood the market with too many, um, then, then there's just not enough to make it worthwhile. And then what you may have is some of the ISPs are not obviously putting that much effort in to that area. And maybe they're they're even trying to think about how to get off the network, right? So I, I, you know, I think there is obviously an open access in my mind. You have to have more than one provider. So even on the smallest networks, I think two or three, you know, especially to start, you need to have that. And what you'll find too is in some cases, some ISPs like to do uh, consumer only services. Some some like to only do enterprise. Some like to do uh, only schools, multi-dwelling units, and some, of course, do it all. So you may have several on the network, but they actually might not directly compete with each other all the time. So, so the devil's in the details always, right? 
And so, um, but you know, we've seen Utopia's network uh, be one of the most successful networks. Um, so proud of the work those guys have been doing. I mean, they're they're cheerleaders and crusaders that got you know help inspire me. And some people talk about there's too many on the network, and I think you have to really understand the details because what we heard today with one of the providers that has I don't know what do you say forty three percent of all the subscribers, it's still it's still an open market. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. But you as the asset owner, the operator, you've got to be careful to try to look to balance that as much as you can for them no, and I, the community. No, I think it's very much the Pareto principle, correct, right? Where 20% will own 80% of the market, but you should give the opportunity. Uh, it's interesting. I remember someone had a small ISP that was very um, restrictive, but in a, but it was there because that was the, what the market wanted because the parents wanted to make sure that the, the, the kids had very limited access to the internet because the, the internet can be a wonderful, terrific thing, but it also is, can be pretty dark. It's just how we're thinking about AI right now, right? On one side of the coin, we're uber excited about it. And if you've played with it at all, it's mind-blowing. And on the other side, we're, we're scary. We're scared um, because we've, we've seen what's already happened with the internet. The internet changed everything. And it also, you know, with all good, comes some bad too. And there's other opportunities to try to manage that, of course. So, um, I, you know what? It's funny because, so can we say that there is no one open access definition? Oh, of course. I, I mean, Joe, we joke about this all the time. If you ask five people what you know their definition, they're going to give you five different answers. And that's the cool thing about it. There are various components of it. But in my mind, the number one piece is that there's more than one service provider on it and the consumer has the ability to choose. Right. And then also it's one of those things where it's sort of a dual-edged sword because if you only have one, then you have a monopoly and then it's like the service suffers and then it's it's super expensive. So that you do definitely need that competition. And would you say that a, a public-private partnership is important or? A hundred percent. I mean, what, what we're seeing with, with BEAD and, and all funding now is that they just don't want to just hand out funding to private enterprise. They want to see a partnership and collaboration with the municipalities and private enterprise. And so it, it's interesting because if if you're 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 a municipality and you're going to go create your own ISP, you have to be careful because now you are competing with your private enterprise, which also can be your constituents, right? That work and live in the area. And so you you've got to find a way to balance that. So I like the open access model in a way that the muni can still own a strategic asset if it's very important for them to do that. And they can then open up the network and all those ISPs now, instead of competing, they're partnering with them. So I think that's that's uber, uber important to understand. And the other piece is we see so many ISPs now because everyone now is talking about open access and it's cool now. And we used to talk about you know how, all the reasons why it doesn't work. And, and, and ISPs that are not offering open access are being very careful to not badmouth it. And in fact, they're talking about open access too, that, hey, we're going to come in your area. We're going to start with just us as the ISP, but then we're going to open up the network in the future. Now, I actually haven't seen that done, but this is the trend that's starting to happen. Like, no one wants to dog it because it makes sense. It's like the airport analogy. If, if, if we didn't have that, it's like you're, you're looking at it like, wait, what would happen if every airline had to build their own infrastructure? It doesn't make sense, right? 
That's well, what we're saying here. Well, I also think that it also determines the size of the airport, right? Because not everyone needs an international airport. Someone might need just a, you know a local regional airport, and so you're going to have only have two SP, two IASPs versus um, someone someone like Utopia that has sixteen with with multiple cities and, and multiple sort of um, uh, folks to serve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if we could just take a, a slight step back, I'd love it if we could sort of talk a little bit about what other um, countries do that, that um, you know, when you were just examining the different places, um, where, like, was there a country, one country that you said, wow, these guys are really doing it right. This is somebody we should copy. Um, was there somebody who were like, well, these guys think they've got it right, but uh, I think that they're, they're going down the wrong path. Oh, that's a really great question. Um, what we had... Um, the advantage of in talking to a lot of those folks is they had history. They were doing it. They shared a lot of their learned lessons, what worked, what didn't work. So we had that benefit, if you will, of learning after the fact from all these folks that have put a lot of effort in, in into this initiative and like starting anything new. There's so many learnings, right? So So they were so wonderful to share a lot of that and 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 in my business um today we 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 have a we have three different partners that we work with that are um just happen to be swedish um and um so 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 we kind of gravitated towards um sweden and on one of our trips you know we actually got to visit um power companies that took on you know the asset component and you know opening up the network we got to talk to isps we got to talk to operators and we literally toured all, all over the country uh, beautiful country to go in the summertime when there's a lot of sunlight <laughs> and warmth and so that was just all inspiring but then we talked to people in the uk we talked to folks in australia um each one of them has different characteristics that maybe is driving it and in some of the countries, there's legislation, right, and regulation. But a lot of people think in Sweden, because they they widely talk about, you know, I think they're at like 97% coverage of fiber, like South Africa that we heard earlier today. Um, and, and, it, and, and they were almost trying to solve the problem 10 years before us. I was, I was just talking to someone from Sweden the other day, and they're like, you know, I love our conferences here. Um, they're like our conferences 10 years ago talking about the digital divide. And because they just got started on the problem a little sooner. And they also have obviously very different geographies and, and things. But what was really neat about Sweden was there's no legislation that drove it. There was a couple big providers that, that actually were backbone providers. And, and, and they came together and, and started thinking about, well, why we're, we're building backbone. We open it up to everyone that wants to transport on the backbone, quote unquote, it's open access by definition. Why would we just not extend that? to the consumer and businesses and kind of keep doing what we're doing. And, and so that big provider was called IP only, and they're one of the largest in Europe. And then that started driving the market, right? And started driving consolidation, change. And um, I actually learned that through that process. I just assumed there was some legislation that helped drive it. I mean, how do you get such you know, high fiber penetration um, you know, so early? Um, we're, we're obviously have still a big gap here, but we also have different challenges in the U S especially our geography, right? We do. And it's funny as well. Cause then you look at a city like Chattanooga, right. Who, you know, they figured it out a long, long time ago. So then you, you just shake your fist and go, Oh, why, you know, why didn't everyone follow that model? But I'm sure you're right in terms of like, 
maybe we weren't ready. And, you know, maybe the world wasn't ready for fiber uh, 10 years ago, right? But now data is so important. Mm. It's Everything is happening at lightning speed. The the pandemic obviously uh, put a light on the fact that we we need this. Also, people are are, are working from home, so maybe it's sort of a, a tectonic shift as well. So I, I think there is. I mean, Chattanooga is obviously a wonderful example um, of of early success um, and 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 making gigabit happen. Um, you know, Longmont right here up the road um, has done an amazing job. And that's where, you know, the municipalities are, you know, they deliver power and they felt like it was a great natural add-on. And, and I, I believe in all of that as well. Um, open access, though, when those folks needed to move forward, I don't think it was nearly as prevalent in the U.S. And so it was a heavier lift for them. So they had to go on and take it all on. They had to go create their own customer service group, you know, that understands obviously, you know, telephony and internet. And, and so it was even a bigger lift. That's why it's in some ways even that much more amazing what they've accomplished. But I think those same types of electric co-ops and municipalities that are considering it now, I don't think we'll see as many of them go the vertically integrated ISP route because they don't need to. They need to solve the access problem and they, they, they need to provide choice. And at the end of the day, they're really good at infrastructure. So continue to, to get the infrastructure out there, manage it, um, but open it up for the ISPs to compete on the services. Because now you're putting um, a municipality that traditionally doesn't move very quickly, making them responsi- responsible for bringing new applications, services to market. I don't know if they really want to be in that business in the it's long a, run. It's a great point, right? It's one of those things where there's it's it's a balance, right? Because um, you know, you you've got the 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 straight, you know, municipality doing what it is they do, but then you need that innovation. You need that sort of motivation and um I, you know, that's one of the things hopefully as a country we do really well. I, I think so. I mean, I I think we're going to see, I mean, we're seeing it, right? I mean, open access now. That's why I joked when I opened up my uh uh, panel earlier today that you sat in on and said, hey, open access will work everywhere except for your market. You know, because it's like people have just been pushing back on it for a long time. Now everyone's like, no, no, open access is good because we're seeing successes all over the country. And but then they'll say, well, yeah, but it just it won't work. It won't work in my market. But yeah, it totally makes sense for you guys. And it's like, well, do you have you really spent the time to really think through it? Because what we're seeing is money can be made at the infrastructure level the operations level, and at the service provider application level. And and I think a lot of people don't believe that, but it's true, right? They're just different models. There's different support costs for each one of those. And it works. I mean, that's the bottom line. It works. Now, um, is some of the problem is that they're a little bit of a turf war as well. I was just in a panel or in, in a room listening to a panel. And actually, a lot of the people in the audience were um, having, a, let's say, a spirited discussion um, in terms of like the different alternatives, Leo's came up, fiber came up as like, Hey, listen, we have to do all fiber. And then someone was like, you know, no wireless is an opportunity as well. Like what's sort of your take on that as well? Is it like where fiber can be fiber should be, or is it one of those things where it needs to be the right, the right tool for the right job? Well, you, you now are entering the, the religious side of this debate. Um, and, and depending, on, <laughs> depending on who you're talking about, the, the emotions get very strong. And, and the way I look at it, though, is um, I'm a technologist at heart. And to your point, we use fiber where we can use fiber. And that's our first choice. 
but wireless is, is is had many innovations as well. And like even on the Southern U uh, Reservation, we're focused on these initial grants covering the highest density areas. We're going to go after more dollars, of course, to try and get some of these other areas served. But honestly, the the cost will be radically more expensive than even this first part. And so a lot of the local WISPs are very excited that we're going to now get fiber to their towers and they're going to be able to increase the broadband that they're actually, you know, the throughput ultimately and the quality of service that they're providing in a lot of those very, very rural areas. So so we've got two things going on, like, you know, the, the Southern Ute are enabling their fiber network uh, for the consumer and businesses where it makes sense. And we're still going to enable local wireless providers that are having to do, you know, wireless backhaul, which can get very, you know, um, your capacity can get limited very quick, whereas obviously fiber is almost infinitely expandable, just putting the right equipment on it. So, so we have, you know, two things happening there. They're not going to do open access in that wireless area. But we're going to go help enable those partners to actually provide an even better solution in those areas. So I think the two personally work really well together. And low-orbiting um, satellite, I think, is another amazing tool in our bag. But I don't personally think that – I think it's going to be very application-driven, you know, obviously autonomous vehicles, um, um, you know, remote connectivity to just super hard parts – um, that are never going to be able to get, you know, good connectivity. But in an area where it's more dense and we can make the economics work, nothing will ever compete with fiber. But these are all tools in the bag and we've got to figure it out. You know, a lot of providers that are categorized as carrier of last resort, now there's a new NOFA that came out um, to that around the extended ACAM solution where they have to decide Hey, can can I serve a hundred percent of my you know serving area, and then they'll be able to get a fifteen year payback from this program, and 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 part of that program does allow for hundred by twenty because one of our clients right now that we're talking to only needs to serve another thousand people, but Joe, the thousand people will cost sixty eight million dollars to serve, right? And 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 in some of the the, the last one or two percent. The cost of those can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, so Leo is amazing for those, and we're actually building that right into the model. And, and so we're going to do fiber where it makes sense, so they have the best solution as long as they possibly can. And there's going to be areas that it just doesn't really make that much sense to try and serve 100%. The you last know, 2% will kill any business case sure. in America. No, and I, I truly appreciate that. And I thought one of the things that one of your panels made, he made a great point that people really should consider that when you're doing these builds, obviously you want to serve everyone as soon as possible. But he said, go for the high density areas first because you've got to sustain yourself. You've got to make sure that you have a viable sort of, of path forward. And I thought that was great. Yeah, it, you know, and I, I love that he came out with that because, of course, if you're in the rurals part of, 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 of the county, you're not happy but but you you've got to understand they're trying to build something that's going to be sustainable, right? And so the first big hurdle is getting the money to build the fiber. The next big hurdle is building your operations team, right, to keep it going forever. And so so that that's there's a careful balance there, and 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 that really has to be thought through. And and 
You do, you do need to go after the density. You do need to get the revenue starting to generate, right? So you can make it sustainable. And then you hope in the meantime, right, that they'll use the Leos or they'll use the different um, um, avenues t- to get connectivity. But also, it's just like anything. It's like you're you're making that choice to be farther out there. Hopefully, we can get a you know a road to you, but it's going to take some time. A hundred percent. And I think that's exactly where you do need to bring in the other technologies and say, well, wait a second, you're not going to be at the end of the five-year build. Here's what we're trying to do right now to still help you. And 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 in Indian country, that's been very important with the tribe to have a comprehensive plan. So we've been talking a lot about the open access and the fiber piece, but remember, they're, they're, they cover over a thousand miles, square miles. It's a massive piece of land, um, but with not that much density. So we must rely on the other solutions, or other otherwise, we're we're going to leave a lot of people, you know, like you said earlier, we're going to only enhance the divide. So. Um... When you when you when you talk to these folks, I'm just curious if you sort of like lay it out to them. Do they sort of understand as well? Because I'm sure that there's frustrations. But I think that one of the great things about this industry is I think that they do they try to explain to say, hey, listen, it's not a, it's not a light switch. Yeah, no, um, I think what's really cool about what's happening in our industry, you know, there was one positive thing that happened from the pandemic, and it really shined the light on connectivity because it really separated the haves and the have-nots immediately. And, and so that obviously, this funding coming from BEAD is all a result. And, and so, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's so important to, to think through all, all these different pieces. And it's making so many people more generally educated like my mom forever just thinks I work on like computers and do <laughs> IT stuff and of course calls me for all her computer work. But now she's really understands that no, 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 I'm I'm actually on the internet side. I'm 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 helping to connect. I have nothing to do with that computer, except that it's just a, a device on on the end end of this, you know, line. Right. Right. But I, you know what it is though? You know, I, when I talk to my parents, they always are the they have the same answers where I or I try to tell them what I do, and they still don't know. Like, like I said, oh, I'm a copywriter. Oh, are you the one who draws in the little C's? At the, no, mom, no, that's not what I did. So, but you know, it's part of the thing. Oh, of course, of course. Unless you're a doctor, a lawyer, or uh, exactly, they they but, don't know. But you know, but it's really interesting because like. You can talk about broadband now with anybody, isn't it? Isn't it the right? truth? Right, where now it's like the, you know, it's like this. You know, we always say it here on the broadband bunch. It's just like the, you know, there's it was a horrible year and a half or two years, but there's the silver lining that we got out of it. It's like, hey, listen, the back of the house, the back of the restaurant. Hey, you, you got to put some, you got to put some people back there. The food's not going to be as good. Yeah, no, exactly. Because we were talking to some of our Swedish friends where they have all this, you know, connectivity, uh, such high penetration. And they were like, you know, when the pandemic came, it wasn't a big deal for them. They all just went home and worked. Right. You know, w- the ones that obviously could, it didn't, you know, w- wasn't every industry, but everyone was still connected. And we're obviously, it sent massive, you know, waves through America. I mean, it's the worldwide, of course, transformative in so many different ways. I mean, just looking at the commercial real estate in major cities. Wow. You know, it's also one of those things where people found that, hey, I can get a lot more done when I don't have a a 45 minute commute each way. So it's it's definitely one of those things where um, we're all sort of learning to work a new way. 
So speaking of work, obviously we're going to be building these these networks and there's also a, a, a number of folks aging out of the industry. And so um, workforce is going to be a real issue. I would love it in terms of you could talk about some of the things that you're thinking about in terms of like, how do we, how do we fix that problem? And you know, what are the different paths we can take? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it is something that actually Joe keeps me up at night. It's like, okay, you, you, you finally, you know, built a, a successful growing company. Um, a lot of, a lot of things are working really well for us. And the, the thing that keeps me up is all of a sudden where there's a point where we, we just can't take on more work because we cannot facilitate the labor to get it done. Wow. And so that hasn't happened yet, but it's on the horizon. I just came out of a panel where that's exactly what they were talking about. And each one of them were having their different challenges. And, and so in, in my mind, you know, broadband in some ways, even though it's been around forever, it's kind of a new industry, if you think about it. Like, I mean, we've only been using this word broadband for the last, you know, handful of years in general. And so I think we've got to do a better job making sure that people understand um, it is an industry. It's a massive industry. It's a with, career. It's a whole career. And, and, and there needs to be more work done at, at, you know, at the younger level, even in high school. Where, Can we you, even go lower? I don't know. Well, uh, that was, someone was just saying that. They're, they're, they were getting some feedback that they're talking to juniors and seniors and they should be talking to freshmen and sophomores, right? Because they're already getting their mind set around things, right? Whether that happens or not, right? We all choose our degree when we go off to college and lots of times we totally do something else but what what's cool about broadband is you don't actually you don't need to go to college there's i mean i i have some wonderful wonderful folks that do very high tech stuff for our staff that didn't finish their four-year degree right and but they were you know in the beginning of the industry all the tier ones all the usual suspects they actually did amazing training programs i mean like at&t had their own university and you know like all, all of them did and then when they started slowing down their builds they actually um, got rid of all those training centers in a, in a big way and they outsource a lot of it and now it's like, well, who, now who's doing it? So there's not really a really good comprehensive program in school. If you're trying to get your electrical engineering, you'll get like one track of broadband, you know, where they'll talk about what we do. And that's about it. So it's, there, there needs to be more work done there. Um, people need to recruit younger. Uh, one of the panelists was just saying, you know, that they, when they go into town, they go find the local high school and they go talk to the football coach. And they figure out which the coach, he knows all the kids. Sure. He immediately tells you, hey, you should talk to these kids because they're probably not going to college, but they obviously all need jobs and careers. And, and that is one of the things that he said they've found some of the very best people. Sure. Right? Getting them young, training them. And, you know, if you get them young and you train them appropriately, you might have them for forever. Right. right? So I, I think there's a great opportunity to influence younger people. And I also think that we need to consider how we actually um, are, are, are working with folks outside the country to try to bring people in. Because even if we do the best job in the world working with young folks, there's a lot of competing industries now, right? There's so many, there's smart grid, there's so many interesting things happening, and there's a lot of competition for all of this labor so I, I think we need to think about our immigration and, and, you know, that's part of what's driven our company, our, our country to where it is today. And I think we need to think a little bit harder about that and, and, and focus on bringing even more people in and training them appropriately to help us in this, because I don't know if we're going to have enough people, period. 
you know, it, it is crazy, right? We're doing all this building. And then once all the building is done, we're going to have to maintain these, these networks and these, these, um, these ISPs and all the, all the different things that we're going to do. And so, you know, is AI an answer, it, you know, are more In people some parts, just, yes. Right. Yeah. So, but AI doesn't help you with boots on the ground that actually build it or maintain it. Sure. Right. It's going to be amazing in a lot of different parts, but you've got to find those people because uh, you can out- offshore that, right? And and it needs that. That's a big deal. The the labor is a big component. So uh, now you sort of touch on it a little bit in terms of college, and it almost seems like just because of the cost in terms of the loans and everything like that, do we need, sort of need to almost revitalize that sort of of um, back in the fifties and sixties where um, the trade schools were you know front and center. You know, obviously we've got the community. Um, college system, but I think that we almost need to to inject that with some type of, of energy. Because I know that there are some folks that are doing programs with community colleges and, and it's like, hey, listen, rather than go $60,000 or $100,000 in debt, here's a path that has a career that's good paying, that um, gives you an opportunity to stay local, stay close to home. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think maybe that's something we need to stop and, and really examine. I think you're right because, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is you can go rack up all that debt and then not have a job, <laughs> you know? And so Very those true. programs need to be combined with opportunities where there's there's a component where they're getting, you know, education, classroom, environment, and then maybe half of their day, they're actually going on the job. Right. I think there's a lot of different ways we could, you know, work to figure that out. But it is a combination on the job training is amazing um, and probably one of the most preferred. But at the same time in construction, if, if you if you take a crew, let's say, and uh, you got several experienced people and then you put someone on there has no experience. Th- that person's actually going to slow down the whole crew because they're all trying to help that person understand things. Right. So. There's opportunities in funding where states and governments can actually pay you to bring that person on and train them and pay you, you know, like a GI Bill. Um, There's several programs like that. And part of the BEAD funding and all this funding that's out there has dollars set aside for training. It's training for not only digital inclusion, but it's workforce. So there's a lot of really good opportunities. And, you know, that's part of what we we, we like to crusade around and talk about, too is uh, getting everyone to start talking about this stuff more because there's a lot of super smart people in, in this industry and it's always about collaboration, sharing ideas, and figuring out these pieces because we're all going to have this challenge if we don't work towards it. And some people are already starting to do some really good things, but there's a lot more that's needed. Yeah, and, and it's what, you know, it's funny. I, I would almost wish that when students sort of start their their path, whether it's community college or university, that when they sort of decide to to pick their path in terms of their their major, that they sort of have a um, uh, you know, a come to Jesus moment, so to speak, yeah. where it's like, hey, listen, if you're going to become uh, go down the philosophy major, that's great if you want to, but listen, um, this is your this is your earning potential for um, the next thirty five or forty years. Compare that to someone who's in the broadband industry. Someone might say, hey, listen. I can read Plato on the side. I'm going to pursue a career that's going to um, give me an opportunity. So if I decide to go there, that I've got a, a real chance to have a the life that I want to live. 
Uh, I think you're 100% right. I mean, I, I remember when I was starting school, it was like, you know, there wasn't really that much help in helping you understand the details, but, but you know, behind some of these roles. I mean, you make assumptions. So I know what an accountant does and a doctor, lawyer. And even then, I don't know if we really know. And, 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 but so some, some help up front and introducing young folks into the industry to help them understand potential. Because what's really cool about our industry is there's a lot of different facets, right? You can become an engineer. You can go down an extremely technical route. You can obviously run machinery. Um, you can do all types of geospatial engineering design. There's all kinds of opportunities in our industry. And, you know, our industry pays pretty well uh, or pretty good. I mean, uh, we get folks that come in, you know, and, and you know, in, in 18 months, I mean, they're, they can be making $60,000, $70,000 and they don't have to have that college education. You know, are they hungry? Are they teachable? Um, you know, and do they have the will? We'll teach them the skill. Yeah, that's great. Um, Brian, so it's one of those things where I, I know that you're a CEO. But you also have another title, another three-letter <laughs> acronym. It's uh, the DOB. Could you share with our, our listeners what 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 is that exactly? Oh, we were having some fun in the panel, yeah, and, and I put some other acronyms. And DOB is a drinker of beer. Uh, I definitely enjoy um, beer. And during the pandemic, we started a podcast as well. And of course, we were like, well, gosh, you know, we got to figure out a way to be different. And and we always try to figure out how to bring fun to everything we super do. Super important. It's super important. And um, so we came up with beer and broadband. And so, uh, yeah, so we, we get folks together. It's obviously you don't have to drink alcohol on it. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks don't. And that's totally cool. But we, we like to approach it in a casual way, just like we are right now, Joe, and have yeah. a conversation. It's, it's all about storytelling. It, it's all about so storytelling. And, and, you know, after someone, you know, usually has a beer or two, the storytelling gets better. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't it, right? You know, it's fun. No, it, it's so true as well. But And sometimes what happens is, and this is going to sound, sometimes good ideas come out of it. Because oh, all of a sudden, no you're just like, you're drinking, you're not thinking about it, you're not like stressing, and all of a sudden someone says, hey, let's do A, and, and someone goes, no, let's do A, B, and C, and then you're like, wow, that's great. But you're 100% you're right. It's like, we've got to make sure that we, we keep the dialogue open, because when um, you hear a story from that someone does in Florida, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, that actually will work in Washington as well. 100%. It is always, in my opinion, always about sharing information, right? It's like what I talked about earlier. It's like, if you can tell me one thing that helps me not screw something up, I mean, that it's invaluable. And, and, and what we're trying to achieve as a country is some heavy lifting, right? Building infrastructure is super hard. It's super expensive. Um, and, and so, and, and as we talked about open access today, there's so many variations of, of the model that can be tweaked, share that. And, and, you know, with us our in our mission of why we exist, I tell everyone everything I know all the time. Um, cause one, I probably talk too much and I'd love to talk, but I love to share honestly, because usually when you're sharing, then other people, they start sharing. And my team in the beginning was like, well, but Brian, you tell everyone every little innovation we come up with. I was like, guys, because this mission is bigger than any one of us, and we all need to work together. So I, I love what we do because, you know, in my prior world competition, we were pretty hardcore about it. And um, in this world of doing the services, um, I 
I don't really see competition. Um, I, I see a lot of people trying to figure out how to make it happen. And there's a lot of ways to actually work together. And sometimes when we're bidding on something, someone might be a competitor by definition because we both bid on it. But again, there's only so much labor. So if I win it, now I'm turning to you and say, hey, Joe, let's still work together. Right? Yeah, that's great. Let's no, figure it out. That's the perfect way to look at things. It's, it's, it's um, cause yeah, it's one of those things where, uh, we're all in this together. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I think it's going to be fun to see the evolution that, that happens, more folks doing open access. And I think there's a lot of, um, carriers that are of, of course, you know, uh, vertically integrated, um, ISPs that don't participate in open access that actually should consider open access even on their own networks, right? Because at the end of the day, if there's, you know, more than one person trying to sell into the community and get more people on the network, you're still going to benefit because you own the infrastructure. And so what? You're not getting all the revenue. So what? But you're actually driving more and more utilization and penetration on the network, which makes the economics work better for everyone. So a little easier said than done with, you know, back office systems and all that fun stuff. Um, but it can be figured out, of course. Brian, this has been an absolutely phenomenal visit. Um, if folks want to get a hold of you or if folks want to be on, on uh, beer and broadband, where can they go for, for uh, more information? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, Brian Hollister, and, uh, of course, our website, bonfireig.com for Bonfire Infrastructure Group. And, you know, reach out and fill out the contact inf information, and we'd love to talk to anyone about what we do. So please reach out. I uh, love sharing, you know, anything I can to help somebody. Brian, thank you so much for your time. It's great, uh, great visiting with you. Hopefully, we can do it again a year from now or six months from now. It's, just, it's, Absolutely. it's great uh, hearing you, meeting you in person. So thanks so very, very much. Thanks, Joe. Pleasure, and thank you for having me. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Broadband Bunch. Until next time, we'll see you guys later.